your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Oliver Martin in motion to the far side. Snap back. Adrian wants to throw. Being rushed. Steps up in the pocket and eludes a man to the 10, to the 5, to the 1. Dives. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. What an individual effort by Adrian Martinez. Scrambling through bodies, arms, diving for the end zone. And the Huskers now lead it 13-0. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Josh Hilkeman. Thanks. Welcome to Sports Nightly. Most of you have made it through the work week. Congrats. Hopefully you can stay out of the heat this weekend while still doing something productive. It has been really hot. Interesting morning, though. The Omaha and Lincoln area is the, the storm that blew through late this morning. That was something quite interesting. But, yeah, here we are. Uh, Sports Daily coming your way. Greg Sharp out tonight. Josh and I have you tonight for the next three hours of the show. We've got a lot to get to on the program. Be a part of it. 531-500-4686, the number to get into the show tonight. As always, our Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Coming up here in just a little bit, we'll chat college football playoff with none other than Dari Noka from ESPN. Dari, the lead uh, reporter, host for SEC Network. He also does work on ESPN Radio. We'll get his thoughts on what the uh, the playoff looks like with him with the 12-team expansion talk. And really, are our, our, our fans and down in the South and the SEC, are they good with this? And I would imagine they are. We'll hear from Dari coming up here in just a little bit. John Baylor, the voice of Nebraska volleyball. JB in the house tonight. JB will help break down Nebraska volleyball coat or uh, volleyball schedule. Excuse me. Nebraska volleyball released their schedule earlier today. So we will uh, take a peek at that and what the future holds for the Big Red. And we'll look at um, what's on tap. For the Huskers in 2021, of course, quick turnaround for them. They go from spring to fall with their summer and get back into the full swing of things with um, with full crowds and, and all of normal volleyball season beginning in 2021. So we'll hear from JB on that. Also, we'll chat with Nebraska, former Nebraska outfielder, Joe Acker. Man, that's strange already. That's that's weird to do this quick after a after a season um but joe will help us put a bow on the husker 2021 season what a season it was and for joe wrapping up his uh his baseball career in fayetteville last weekend so we'll hear from joe speaking of fayetteville the arkansas razorbacks are playing the nc state Wolfpack in the fayetteville super regional right now they're in the bottom of the third inning hogs already leading three to one and threatening for more runs so um, not super competitive in that game right now are the Wolfpack. Maybe they'll make things interesting later on in the weekend, but it's looking like it's just about Kevin Cop's time, and I say that because we're <laughs> past the first inning, and that's really all it takes. 175 pitches, Josh, that dude threw yeah. last in, in the four days. That is insane. 175 pitches. 
That's a I lot. Can't of believe, I can't believe his arm is still intact, still hanging on. And the funny thing is, is that that's just kind of what they've done with him all all season. He, he's been a workhorse. He throws more pitches than anybody else on that staff, including all the starters. So it's impressive. He was very impressive against the Huskers, and he was most definitely the biggest reason why Arkansas was able to get past Nebraska last weekend. And obviously the Huskers gave it a great effort, but man, when you have a guy like that who can come in and just shut you down for seven plus innings, then there's, <laughs> you don't have much of a chance. If, and, I, and I've said this all week, if Kevin cops truly, and, and for those that haven't heard the plan for him going in, according to Dave Van Horn was to throw three innings. And he obviously threw seven. I still stay true. If if he only was able to give Nebraska or Arkansas three, I think Nebraska wins the game. I I really yeah. do. Um, but unfortunately, that's not how it worked out. Uh, the coaches saw how sharp he was and just continued to roll with him. And this is a guy that had Tommy John surgery before. I mean, mm-hmm. he he is not immune to arm injuries. I would I would think you'd want to be a little more careful with that type of arm. But I guess their season. <laughs> excuse me season to that point was still on the line and uh very much in doubt so uh didn't really seem to matter they were gonna throw him until the cows came home or i should say the hogs came home and they and they (laughs) finally did that so yeah uh razorbacks winning three to one on nc state right now coming up in the eight o'clock hour of course our typical lineup on a friday on the eight o'clock hour josh hilkman will have our weekend preview he has also put together our weekend review, and we'll hand out some winners and losers on Sports Nightly here tonight. Um, so all of that still to come on Sports Nightly over the next three hours. Um, David Alston, Tim had this in the ticker, uh, reserve Husker linebacker into the portal. Not a shock, um, to be honest with you. A little that that is probably one of the first names that I would I would throw out there of of candidates that. Um, would have done that. I think he's given it plenty of time here and hasn't manifested, hasn't played a snap. He's got three years of eligibility left, and Josh, I think this one makes a lot of sense for both parties. Well, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, especially, yeah, for the young man, like you said, hasn't played here, and he has graduated but still somehow has three years of eligibility, it's, which is crazy with, you know, obviously COVID and everything else with it. But, yeah, you're right. It, it it makes sense, and you want that for guys like that who, you know, haven't even touched the field. They're probably not going to be able to get on the field, and it's it's not like it was one year and done for him. You know, he's been here for a few years and just hasn't been able to to see the field. So, you know, go find somewhere where you can play. You know, probably take a step down a level and um find a find a program where you can go see the field and that's what you know you can't you can't fault a guy for wanting to do that so there's obviously been a lot of talk over the last couple years with the transfer portal of guys who don't give it a shot you know they're they're too quick to pull the trigger you know impatient and all of that but this is not one of those cases and i think that you know good for him and hopefully he does find somewhere where he can play and realize his potential yeah, and you mentioned the other part of this. Kudos to him for getting his degree done this quick. I mean, yeah. that, that would have taken a lot of hard work on his part. So, um, yeah, David Alston, uh, Tim mentioned it. He's from Minnesota. was a really highly thought-of recruit out of that state. Um, moving on from the Husker football program. So that's kind of the big storyline of the day. Happy to welcome into the program now from ESPN and the SEC Network, Dari Noka, studio host 
for SEC Network and, of course, ESPN Radio. Dari, a lot of stuff going on this week, plenty of topics for us to talk about. I'm sure there's no shortage of stories for us to talk about, right? We do. There's there's no doubt. Obviously, we're all, uh, you know, intrigued by the college football playoff news. And then, uh, you know, we've got six teams out of the SEC that are we're following closely in Supers. So, you know, I'll uh, end up finding my way out there to Omaha here in a couple of weeks. It's just a matter of which teams we'll be following. No doubt. Can't wait to have you here. And I know the fans here are just chomping at the bit to have the World Series back. And, you know, to be out uh, living their lives again, it's just fantastic. I know people are really excited for that. Um, let's start with the big news with the college football playoff. This, this to me, Dari, seemed like it went from a dream to reality really quickly. And uh, what was your take when you first heard the idea and then found out, man, this thing has legs? Yeah, well, you know, it's my first thought is, oh, gosh, 12 is just so many teams. Um, t- to be honest, I, I am, you know, I, I've kind of discovered over the last couple of days, Ben, that I – I kind of need to grow up, I think, when it comes to the college football playoff idea. I'm a guy that I I don't have a major issue with four, except that it's kind of the same four. So, okay, so now I'm running into a roadblock there, and there's no way around it. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe I could live with eight. I do believe inclusivity is important for those group of fives. Four, eight, Cincinnati, for instance, a year ago. Um but how do we do that? Well, maybe eight allows that. So I'm adjusting to the idea of eight, and then all of a sudden they slap us upside the head with 12. And, you know, as I read more and hear more and think more, you know, I, I think I'm okay. But the biggest thing is, is Ben, I don't know how you where you sit on this, but I've never been good. See, college football to me is different than everything else. It's what makes it the greatest sport that we know in my opinion, is that you can't lose two or even three games and think to yourself, that's okay. We can still win a national championship. I I never wanted that to become part of college football. I'm afraid it is becoming part of college football, but in the end, more teams will have an opportunity. In the end, it can't just be the same four or four of the same six teams every season. Uh, And in the end, it's more football for us to watch. So I'm looking for the positives, and I think I'm going to come around to this idea. To be honest with you, I was a little scared to, to, to bring you on and, and have a, you know, a national analyst you know, have their opinion and, uh, and disagree with me, and I was a little worried how I'd handle that. You're on my side. I'm a little surprised that that's, that's oh. the case. To me, to me, it was, you know, there's something about – Texas A&M playing LSU and having that game matter, you know, not having a rematch two months later. And, you know, to have Alabama play Auburn in the Iron Bowl, to represent the SEC, you know, there's something about that that was really appealing to me and having every Saturday matter, having those big juicy matchups in, in August and September matter. And to me, it's like they still matter, right? To the fan bases, they'll still care, but – you know, the, the committee's not going to hammer Alabama for losing against the Texas Longhorns in Austin if they have two losses on the year. So 
I, I'm with you. The college yeah. football with the bowl games and you know the the pageantry, the rivals, that's all seemed to be going away, which I'm having a really hard time adjusting to. I know you're a little more connected in the world of college football. Your border is, is outside the state of Nebraska. How how does that fit, do you think, with schools in the SEC and down south? Are, are they willing to kind of shove that other stuff to the side, that things that you and I love about college football to expand this thing? Or is there some hesitancy? Yes. So, you know, I'm not a native SEC-er. So, you know, over the years, I really do love and appreciate this conference. But I've learned about it later in life than most people, than anybody who grows up in this league. And, and what I've discovered is this. Because down the road they might both make the playoff is not going to take a single thing away from the Iron Bowl participants, Alabama and Auburn. It's not going to make Bama LSU in November, early November, any less important. Just because it's not going to be an elimination game per se for the playoff doesn't mean those two schools and their incredible fan bases aren't going to want to beat each other's brains in. So there is still this, I don't, at least in this league, you know, the Oklahoma's then the Ohio state, Notre Dame, Nebraska, USC, you know, where it really matters, Clemson, Florida state, you know, go on and on. You're not going to want to lose three games. You're not going to want to lose twice. And you're not going to be okay losing to a rival just because, you still think you'll be fine in the end. So I still – I don't think that stuff's really getting pushed to the side. Um, but it's human nature, right? It doesn't make every game as critically important as it used to be. You know, in the NFL, Giants-Eagles still matters. Uh, but, eh, I mean, are you going to sleep okay Sunday night if your team loses? Yeah, you will. And I'm afraid that's kind of creeping into college football a little bit. But, like, I, I do then I, I do think this. As, you know, you and I, we seem to be on the same wavelength, and maybe that wavelength is a little bit antiquated, to be honest, at least in my opinion, and I, can, I think I can admit this, because it, it's too great of a sport for realistically about eight teams every year to feel they can win a national championship. It's too great of a sport to limit it and exclude so many programs. And the other thing is this, why would you go to, oh, why would you go to, um, goodness, uh, I mean, Central Florida or Cincinnati if you could go to Ohio State? Let's say Cincinnati. Well, you could go to Ohio State and sit behind some great players for two years and probably get into the playoff or you could go to Cincinnati play right away and probably go to the playoff so where all the rich keep getting richer I do think this is going to help disperse those four and five star kids further out across the country bringing more competitive balance to the game which I think we desperately need that's a really good point and uh yeah not something I had thought of too far down the rabbit hole maybe I'm still stuck in my ways but I, I do think that that is a good point, and I think that inevitably would happen. Dari Noka from ESPN, SEC Network, ESPN Radio with us on Sports Nightly. I'm Ben McLaughlin. Dari, another thing that I'm intrigued about, and as somebody that hasn't necessarily been pounding the drum of college football playoff expansion, has me curious, typically in a four-team playoff, there's been 
some debate, not a ton of debate about teams five and six, but I think we're kind of opening Pandora's box a little bit when we're getting to 12. I think anywhere, you know, you look at the rankings any any given week, there's not too much difference between teams 11 and 19. Do you feel like we're opening ourselves into uh, NCAA March Madness debate on resumes um, when it comes time to letting those last few teams in, or do you feel like 12 is going to be a decent cutoff? No, I, I think we are. I, I think we're opening ourselves up to that. Um, but, Ben, isn't that great? Like, no, no, we love that debate. Like, we, we routinely live and die with Joe Lenardi's last four in and first four out <laughs> as though any of those teams is a real threat to win a championship. They're not. But it just gives us another thing to argue, and we love that. And so, from that perspective – I'm great with it, to be honest. I'm great. Now, I mean, and then you make the point, just like you would in basketball, right? Is the 33rd at-large team really worth arguing about? Like, is the 12 seed who's going to have to go to the 5 seed and then turn around and play the 4 seed on the run, like, or whatever? Like, is that really worth arguing about? Probably not, but we're going to argue about it, and that's (laughs) part of what makes all of this so good. Oh, yeah. Sports talk host show dream, right? Debate, argument, and dying no on hills. That's kind of what we do. It's just it's just the way that it goes. <laughs> that, It'll be interesting yeah, to dying see. Dying on hills that maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out, and it sounds like it's coming. Just amazing, you know, the chatter of between four and eight, maybe maybe added a six, and now, now we wake up one night and boom. <laughs> sounds like it's going to happen. So the ball is rolling down the hill. Dari, before we let you go, I know you're a huge baseball guy. I watched all your guys' coverage of the SEC tournament in Hoover. What a great tournament that was, by the way. Husker fans just got Thank done wrapping you, yeah. up a, uh, an absolute war of a regional down there in Fayetteville, and a lot of crushed Husker baseball fans out there right now. But just to have this tournament yeah. back, and as a baseball guy yourself, and being being involved in the coverage, and you know being here in Omaha and covering the SEC, what's it feel like to have postseason baseball back for you? And uh, maybe just give you a little bit oh. of, of reality back. Man, it's it's great, Ben. I, you know that when I was in Hoover, that was the first live sporting event I had seen since March 12th of 2020, oh, when they wow. told us in Nashville the SEC tournament was no longer going to be played. Fly on home. And that was the first live thing I'd seen. It was incredible, man. It really just it, what a feeling it was. And yes, the idea of getting to go back to Omaha. You know, covering these supers in studio all weekend, uh, as I'm as I'll be doing, um, man, it's it's a great thing, and I'm lucky to be get able to cover a great a great conference. I, I tell you this though, man, I I was in Lincoln. I worked in Lincoln in 2000, 2001, 2002, and I got to mm. cover and got to know Dave Van Horn really well. Him and those Rob Childress, Mike Anderson, Husker teams that the first one that went to the World Series, the second one that went to the World Series. Um, and I, I really, really, really watched Nebraska-Arkansas with so much intrigue. And uh, Nebraska fans should be awfully proud. That is a team with a star at shortstop, you know, um, slash relief pitcher, with, with a lot of good personalities. Uh, to have a proud Husker back as head coach, you know, that, that was that was fun to watch. It was fun to watch them get back to a place where they hadn't been in far too long. And I, I really will sit here and, you know, I'm a Sooner by nature and, and I covered Nebraska and really got to like and appreciate the Husker program. I, um, I, I was really, really happy for them. And, and I, I hope that it, it is an upward trend that continues because Nebraska fans should, 
be nothing but proud of that baseball program. To, to force Arkansas in a game, you know, winner take all, 2-2, into the eighth inning, in that place, a bomb walker, that's a hell of a feat, man. It is a hell of a feat, and, and they should be happy with that. It was a fun few days in Fayetteville, and I can't, I can't tell you I've been a part of a, a more raucous baseball atmosphere. A press box was shaking after the Welch home run. It was it was unbelievable, and I know it's yeah. an experience our, our kids will never forget, and it was just an unbelievable season, so I, I appreciate the kind words. Yeah. Dari Noka from ESPN with us. Dari, thanks so much. We've taken a lot of your time. Really appreciate you jumping on and sharing some thoughts with us. We really, really do appreciate it, and hope to see you here in Omaha in a few weeks. Thank you so much. All right, Ben. Great talking to you. Thank you. Welcome on our first guest of the hour, Mr. Joe Acker, Husker senior outfielder, just wrapped up his playing career. And, Joe, I, I know this is hard to believe it's almost been a week now since the season ended in Fayetteville, but now that you've had a couple of days to kind of sit back and reflect on how your college career ended, how, how, how do you feel about uh, everything that happened last week in Fayetteville and you know your last ride as a Husker wrapping up just a few days ago? Yeah, I think I, I'm really grateful for you know how – how I got the opportunity to end my career as a Husker thinking back to um, I know you and some other guys made comments just about the super seniors about a year ago, we were, we were sitting here on the phone thinking that, you know, this is how our careers were going to end with COVID. And, you know, we really didn't know what the future was going to hold. And then obviously we were given the opportunity to come back for another year and, and, you know, kind of that after that first week of fall practice, I realized, gosh, I'm really glad I, I came back because I think this team's going to have a chance to be really special. And obviously we did that and, you know, we'll be cemented as Big Ten championships and Big Ten champions. And, you know, obviously the postseason didn't go as, as we would have liked, but um, to, to take the number one team in the country to the brink of elimination is is huge, not only for – the Nebraska fan base, but I also think just for the program moving forward, I think it, I think we took a big step in the right direction. Joe, when uh, you were talking, alluding to that conversation we had about a year ago and when we, uh, when we, when I went to pull you on here, I, I looked at one of the old messages popped up that you and I were trading back and forth. And I think the last thing you said is that the, this team is going to be really good essentially is what you said. I mean, this team's going to be, um, one to remember for a long time. And I feel like not just you, but a lot of the form, the, the older guys knew that really early on. This was way before the preseason projections and we weren't picked sixth. What was it about this coaching staff, the veterans, and even at that time, the newcomers that you barely knew that you just had a feeling this was going to be a really special group? Yeah, I think once you're around college baseball um, long enough, you kind of know what a – really well-rounded team looks like and you know the first thing this year was we you know we knew we weren't going to be lacking depth at all and you know I think my biggest question mark going into the the fall was going to be like our pitching staff and our bullpen and then you know you see guys like Jake Buns and Cam Wynn and then Chance Roach I mean you talk about three huge pieces um, from the pitching side of things that just you know propelled us you know, to that next tier. Um, and then offensively, you got, you had freshman guys. I mean, you could tell within 48, 48 hours, you know, or two practices that Bryce Matthews and Max Anderson, Jack style, that those guys were going to, you know, be contributors. It's funny that you can, you can pick that out pretty quick. Um, so 
so yeah, it, it, it wasn't hard to tell that this team was going to be special. And then on top of that, you had, you know, seniors like myself and, you know, other well-rounded um, contributors that were going to really, you know, help this team in the locker room and just with mental side of things. Joe, something we talked about all year and, you know, I, I'm sure I've talked about it with you and a lot of your teammates was just the mental toughness side of this team and, you know, talking mm-hmm. about the peaks and the valleys and, there were there were there were ups and there were there weren't very many downs but there were a few and how this that yeah. that in particular was going to help this team in a regional um just your mental toughness and you know the attitude that your head coach has has passed down to you guys what was the feeling heading into Fayetteville um i guess even before selection monday this time compared to the other regionals that that you were a part of and the other teams that you were a part of just kind of the whole mantra and mentality of this team carried to that moment yeah, I, I think you said it best. It's kind of just like a reflection of, you know, what your coach instills in in his players and, you know, his belief in you guys. And, you know, it was clear to Coach Bolt that he thought, you know, we were very capable of, of winning that Arkansas Regional. And, you know, once you instill that in your players, belief is, you know, the biggest thing in those scenarios when you're going up and against the number one team in the country, you have to believe that you can get it done. You have to believe that as a team that you can win. And, you know, we, we did have that belief. And I think Dave Van Horn, I think in a lot of his press conferences after our games kind of alluded to that, you know, that we weren't scared that, you know, that the other team we were playing had Arkansas across their chest, that that really didn't matter to us, that, you know, we were going to go out there, play our game, and do what we had to do to try to win a game. And, you know, it gave us a heck of a chance, that's for sure. What were the 24 hours like after that regional was announced? And I know you guys handled a lot better than I did. Um, I felt like you guys earned more. And, I, and, and, you know, I may be biased, and I probably am, but I felt like the Big Ten champion deserved a better draw than that. It didn't seem like you guys cared that much or at least let it affect you that much and how you went about your business. As a team, as a senior, as a captain leader, what what was the 24 hours, mainly maybe even the 6 to 10 hours like after that, the rest of Monday, and, and how you as a team took where you were headed for a regional? Yeah, so I think like the first few hours you just – at least for me and a lot of other guys, I think you just kind of, I don't know if disrespected is the right word, but you just kind of like you alluded to, like it was, it was obviously that the committee didn't respect us the way we respected ourselves. And, you know, the coaches pull, you know, where they thought we were, because obviously they thought we were, you know, theoretically the 32nd best team in the country, if they're going to send us to the number one, seed as a two seed so that was you know the biggest the first thing I felt and I think most guys felt was just you know the disrespect that they felt and I think a lot of that had to do with you know the non the Big Ten hurting themselves and not allowing us to play non-conference games I mean that was just their own that was that's another conversation for another time but yeah I think it was just a disappointment but then once you get over that it's like hey, this is how it is, like, no need to waste time complaining. Let's just do what we've done all year and, and get to work and and believe in one another and, and and go win the thing. 
and that's it's clear that that's what the mentality was and you know mm-hmm. being around totally. you guys in the hotel before the game and you know just you know before you guys played northeastern it was obvious that that was the mentality and, and it was clear that that was the way you guys took that you had to play a pretty dang good northeastern team that probably felt the same way you guys did about about their draw how big was that that game just to get the confidence in your belt and joe i'm even going to narrow the focus to one swing and cam chicks home run what that did for the mm-hmm. team and and just you know then after after winning that game giving you the sense of purpose and belonging that maybe you need what what did that swing and then that win do for your guys confidence i i mean it's it's huge winning that first game of the regional i mean it's it's just I think it's so important that you win the first one, no matter what what seed you are, because I just think it puts you in such a such a good spot. But yeah, I mean that you saw that you know Chicks at bat before that he lined out to center, I think, and had like a beautiful swing. So I think a lot of us had our yard card on before he even <laughs> even hit that home run, just because we knew that it was that he was going to do something special, just because he was obviously seeing the ball really well and. So it meant a lot for for me to see Chick do that, and and like you said, it propelled us into a good direction, gave us the confidence going into you know the rest of the weekend that hey, we belong, we're gonna we're gonna fight, we're gonna compete in this regional, and we're gonna give everyone our our best. And and I don't think we ever played our best brand of baseball against Arkansas at all, um, but we still came away with you know one win, obviously against the number one team in the country. It's one thing, Joe, to to watch the games on TV. Even for us, I mean, I, I call in the games. You could feel the electricity, and you know, you know what type of environment mm-hmm. you're in. But down there on the field, it's probably a little bit different. How long does it take, uh, especially this year? It's been a long time since you guys have played in front of crowds, let alone that big, to to get comfortable playing baseball. I mean, when when you're you guys got turned the villain pretty quickly last weekend. When 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 did it felt like you guys were just just playing ball, and you're able to just deal with everything else going on around you. Yeah. I think when your pitcher can dominate the strike zone and throw strikes and just kind of control the tempo of the game, I think that can help, you know, calm guys down in the field a lot. I think, I think, you know, exposure to those environments is the, the, the best way to learn and the best way to, you know, get comfortable with that stuff. But, you know, we've been taught over the years, you know, how to control our breath, control our emotions. And, you know, it's probably a little bit easier for me as an older guy to do compared to, you know, some of the the younger guys. But I thought our younger guys handled it, you know, really well as, you know, plenty of them had success in the regional. And, um, yeah, kind of like you, you mentioned, it's just such a, it's such a hard environment to get comfortable in. But you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable as they say so um it was difficult for sure and it definitely gave them them an advantage um just because i feel like we're so used to playing in front of large crowds at haymarket but otherwise you know in the rest of the big 10 you know you're never really you know you're never really thrown in front of those environments um at some of the other big 10 places so usually at haymarket people are rooting for us not against us so it was definitely something to remember. Joe, this team didn't need anything else to kind of forge it together. I mean, I, they didn't need anything else. But if there was, I mean, the way that uh, Arkansas's fans decided to approach 
some of our guys. It felt like that unified the team a little bit. What what did what did that do to the dugout? Just you know the sense of togetherness, and really at that point, all you all you had was each other. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you're you're just going into battle with with your guys, and you know we knew it was going to be a dog fight. Coach Bolt always mentions you got to have the dog in you, you know when you're when you're in those big games like that, and and you know our team camaraderie and you know our our dugout or our locker room as you would maybe say you know was never an issue at all the whole year I mean every guy was was locked in there was no I guys this year there was no you know cancers within the locker room so that just all goes back to you know this team being special and you know the results that we obviously had prove it Joe, this when the home run happened, I think we all kind of knew that this destiny wasn't meant to be. I know you guys had some at bats there in the ninth, and you know did everything mm-hmm. you could to to fight back from that. But the quicksand was was up to the forehead at that point. When when it, the final out was recorded, and you guys are in right field, and you're hearing from your coaches, what what's the feeling that you have? I mean, I know there's a lot of disappointment because you just lost, and you had a chance to go to a super regional and continue this ride, but. I'm sure a big party had to be pretty proud with with everything that had happened. What, as a senior, knowing that your Husker career was over at that moment, what what's the feeling like? What's going through your mind when when you're giving those last hugs and and your brain's working? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a lot of emotions. I think it, you know, at you know, on one end, I was just really, you know, really happy, and you know, from where where things were a year ago to now where it was like with all of COVID, I was able to, you know, end my career in front of, you know, a big crowd and we won the big 10 championship, which was such a big goal of ours. And then for me as well, to start my career here as a freshman, win, win a big 10 championship. And then, you know, to end on that note, winning one as well was, was, you know, very special. I think those were things that really came through my mind and, and then you also learn, you know, that no team is the same the, you know, the years you're here. So there's, you know, you you look around and realize that, you know, this group of guys will never play together again. And and I think that's the, you know, the hardest thing to come to grips with is knowing that, you know, this group of guys, this these 35 guys won't ever be, you know, all together again. And I think some of the young guys don't necessarily realize that in the moment, but us older guys I think that was probably the the thing I was thinking about the most was just knowing that I'm not going to miss so much the game of baseball as I am going to miss just the the camaraderie with the guys and you know the competition and you know being with them every single day Joe there's two more I want to ask you and these are two pretty big questions the first one I want to ask is is about not just you but the other super seniors the guy that we're talking the guys that we're talking about Luke and Mojo and that was mm-hmm. the, one of the things that I'm going to remember most about this year is how cool it was to watch each of your journeys just in 2021 from start to finish. When we're starting in Round Rock to where we're at right now, not even talking about the beginning of career, how cool it was to see it be worth it to you guys and, and for different reasons. Luke wasn't in the lineup every day to begin with. All of a sudden he plops right. in there. He starts turning it on. I think it was the Iowa series when he started to get going and then he never looked back. Mojo was a little bit later, but I mean, the, the veterans, the, the leadership that he brought and uh, the game that he had against Northeastern, I think that game alone probably made it worth it for him. And then for yourself, you know, being a guy that 
Coach Bolt told us, we want Joe to hit in the nine hole because of how valuable, you know, your bat was there. And then you were forced to, to move up to the leadoff spot and you never let it go. What, what does that mean to you to see not just yours, but a couple of your closest teammates get to experience the year uh, the way that they did and have it be worth it and have this entire year and everything you went through with COVID um, come full circle? I, yeah, I really – I don't even know if I can put into words just, you know, how how lucky I think all three of us are. That one, we got to, you know – I think it's pretty rare that in the transfer portal days and, you know, how college baseball is, but, you know, there's a – you know, you spend five years at one single program to begin with. But, I mean, like you hinted at, just that we came back after all that and all the stress that we went through with that and getting our senior seasons ripped away and then – for all of us to, you know, be able to end on high notes was, was, you know, something spectacular just because, you know, not everybody gets to ride off into the sunset their you know, their last year playing the game that they love. So, um, and I, I love those guys, you know, more than anything, I've spent more time with, with those two guys than, than anyone on this team. So both those guys mean a lot and, and they'll always be super close to me for the rest of my life. So, seeing them having success is makes me just as happy as, you know, my personal success. So that was cool. All right, Joe, last question I got for you is about, is about your journey here. And we talked about it a lot throughout the games, um, you know, specifically last year in the shortened season and this year, just how cool it was to see your jump in progression. You weren't a guy that was in the everyday lineup as a freshman and it took a lot of development. You, you had to, you had a decision to make in terms of, your development as a player and if you were going to make it at this level and you absolutely took it. And I know your parents were, were at every road trip and you know, you've meant more to this program than a lot of guys ever will. When you think about your journey as a Husker and being kind of in that limbo stage, if you were going to be an everyday contributor in college baseball or not, first of all, what changed to help you get to that point? And, you know, finally, to have your career finally end on, on the note that it did when maybe you didn't see this coming as a freshman or a sophomore, what's it mean to you? Um, I think it's just, I really just really probably owe it all to the, you know, my parents and what they instilled in me as, as a young man. And, and just, you know, the, obviously, like you said, like those first two years, I mean, I barely sniffed the field, you know, my freshman and sophomore year and, you know, I was a very raw athletic, you know, outfielder that, you know, offensively just, you know, was, wasn't mature enough. Um, I don't think with the mental side of the game offensively to really make that jump. And I think it's a, it's hard for a lot of kids that come from those Northern schools that don't, you know, see his quality of pitching to make that jump as a freshman or a sophomore. So I think probably the biggest turning point was my sophomore summer ball, season when I went out to Ohio and had a really good year there out in summer ball and you kind of start to believe in yourself as a ball player again and um, you know that was huge for me to come back then my junior year and then that was the first year I I started in center field I think pretty much every game that I was healthy Um, so yeah I think it means a lot to me that you know I was able to go through that adversity at an at an early stage of my college career and overcome it and um, I think you see less of that now with with kind of like I said earlier the transfer portal kids are so quick to leave but I'm so glad that I 
you know, chose to stick it out and, and finish my career here because I really couldn't, couldn't see myself, you know, ending it anywhere else just because this place truly is the best. And like I've said before, it's the people that makes this place great. And, and this athletic department, great, this fan base, great. So um, I'm just really, really lucky that I was able to, to have a career here and let alone a long one. It's always hard to see you guys go because we never know when we're going to see you guys again. Um, you're all off doing other things. If you're Spencer Schwellenbach, you're about to make a lot of money. And, you know, you think about mm-hmm. the, the different paths that you guys take after your careers are over. And um, this year has been unbelievable, man. It's been so much fun. I, I've enjoyed every single day because of a lot of it was what happened last year. And, you know, seeing you guys get another, another opportunity. But And then the big part is the success on the field. You guys just – had a different edge about you this year, and I think it just has so many people excited about the future of Husker baseball. I'm lucky to have been in, a, in the front row seat all year to watch it happen. Joe, thanks so much for giving us some time. Thank you for everything that you've given Nebraska, and, and thanks for an unbelievably special year, man. It was unbelievable to cover, and we hope you enjoyed every second of it. Look forward to talking to you again down the road. Thank you. It's summer. The Huskers are sharpening their skills with seven-on-seven drills. We're keeping Greg and Ben in shape during the off-season with some seven-on-seven of our own. Seven topics. A seven-nation army couldn't hold me back. From sports. From Manning, seven touchdown passes. To pop culture. I never joke about my work, 007. It's time to go seven-on-seven on Sports Nightly. Well, we're not keeping Greg in shape this week. He's he decided uh, to scuttle off into the night, uh, but luckily Josh Hilkeman here Woo-hoo. in his stead to replace him. I hope you boys are ready for these seven uh, pretty good topics I think I've got all lined right. up. So, we're ready to Are they all your topics? Did you do this all by yourself? Or? I think I did. I mean, okay. <laughs> I, was with divine, I was hit with divine inspiration. So Okay, very good. Some of these. All right, starting out with the first one, departing Pac-12 commissioner Larry Scott had some harsh words to share about his soon-to-be former conference. In an interview with the Associated Press, Scott said, quote, USC, Oregon, Stanford, Washington, not getting to the playoffs more often or winning has very little to do with the conference office. Between compliance issues, coaching changes, and other things, some of our traditional powerhouses have struggled the last few years, and that's hurt the league overall. So Scott clearly throws these programs under the bus. So, But should they share the bulk of the blame here, or should Scott? Well, I mean, I... Look, I, I, I feel like the bigger issues probably fall under the conference umbrella. Yeah. But the year-to-year success, it's kind of hard to put that on the conference, right? I mean, we blame the Big Ten for a lot of things here in Lincoln over the last year, but on-field performance has never been one of them. We don't blame Kevin Warren for not being able to beat Illinois or whatever. So, right. I mean, I think a lot of this falls on the school. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And – Maybe it's coincidental that those programs, USC, Oregon, Stanford, Washington, have all kind of fallen off at the same time, or at least haven't been living up to the same successes that they've had in the past. But I I don't think that them being really bad at football is anything to do with the conference itself. But obviously there's... Yeah, there's it's there's a little bit of blame to share from the conference too, but I don't really know what else that they need to do to help their programs be better. So I don't know. All right, then moving on to the NBA, Ben. This one will uh, be a dagger right into your heart. Boston oh, Celtics no. reportedly tried to unloan or unload 
Ben's beloved Kemba Walker this year. The point guard is in the middle of his four-year $140 million deal, but Boston looks like they've had enough. They tried to ship him off to San Antonio, apparently in exchange for LaMarcus Aldridge. Of course, Aldridge, he did end up getting picked up by the Nets, but had to retire for medical reasons. So, Ben, what's got wrong with Kemba in Boston? The dream's already over. I'm not surprised. He didn't have a very good year. Uh, He had the stem cell procedure into his knee, and he was lucky to even have played when he did. Um, but when he played, he didn't, just didn't play very well. And I don't know that he his style meshes with Jason Tatum as much as they'd have hoped. San Antonio is kind of a weird spot. They're kind of loaded in their backcourt back with DeJounte Murray and you know, all their young guards. So uh, I don't know that that would have worked. But, yeah, I'm not surprised. He just didn't have a very good year. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not as big a fan of Kimba as Ben is, but he's a guy that it, it's always sad to me when there's a superstar like that who – you know, is really good with the team for a while, and then it, you know, kind of is. I don't. He's obviously on the back half of his career, and it's sad to see him not be playing up to the level that we're used to. So, I have nothing against Kemba Walker. So it's it's yeah, kind of a bummer. Sticking with the NBA, Kevin Durant and PJ Tucker got into it during Game Three last night between the Bucks and the Nets, and required referees and teammates to try and separate the two. But someone else got involved in the fray as well. Durant's personal bodyguard, what appeared to be just a member of the Nets' security, was actually Katie's bodyguard, and apparently he's on the Nets' payroll. He ran to the floor and actually shoved Tucker during their little verbal altercation. Uh, so with that said, should there be a consequence from the NBA for Brooklyn here, given that Durant's personal bodyguard got involved in a spat on the court? At yeah, the very least, should, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Josh. I was going to say, at the very least, the bodyguard should be not able to be at games anymore or not be on the bench. Like he can meet him after uh, meet Durant after the game to protect him. But that I feel like that should go against something in the NBA rule book of having a personal bodyguard on the bench that can just run on the court. That doesn't seem right. Yeah, yeah you should not be able to just run on the floor anytime your prized possession gets a little, um, you know, gets a little dust up that he, he likely started. So yeah. whatever. I mean, yeah, get that guy off the floor. Give him a fine. Give him something. <laughs> yeah, if, if only we all had our own personal bodyguards trying to right. see how they would be employed. Um, all right, uh, moving on to the NFL. Pro Football Focus recently released their list of the best NFL head coaches heading into 2021. And poor Bill Belichick came in at just number six. Of course, New England, they went just seven to nine last year after TB12 skipped town and they had to rely on Scam Newton at quarterback. But but that said, is that an appropriate ranking, you guys think, for Belichick right now? Or does he deserve to be higher up? Still seems pretty low to me. Six is kind mm-hmm. of a kind of low. Uh, so weren't you weren't you all in on Cam Newton? Now now you're now you're Scam Newton. No, I feel I, like before the year you were a Cam Newton guy. No, because I I even said because they only gave him that one year deal or whatever it was, and I said that's appropriate. Like give him a chance, but he's got a short leash. So I was I was Scam, neither optimistic nor pessimistic. I was Scam gnostic. Okay, very good. Well, okay. my question, Tim, is who's num- – I'm guessing Andy Reid is number one. He's, he's, he's Reid, yeah. Numbers greatest. one through five as follows. Andy Reid, John Harbaugh, Matt LaFleur, Sean McDermott, and then Sean Payton at five. Yeah. And then Kevin Stefanski, he was actually seventh, and that was at the top seven. Right. And to me, it's like who do you put ahead of Belichick? And I know that they had a bad year last year in New England, but not all of that was Belichick's fault. So yeah, right, you would I think trophy cases would matter at some point. Right. right. I, when I suppose, and I think in fairness to PFF, I, I think it was more of a just for this upcoming season, 
right. you know, who would be not, not not taking into account legacy. But even then, it's like but you just, really can't discount it all, right? Because right, and that's what I'm going to say. You have to, if you're looking at the upcoming season, you have to have some kind of a baseline to go off of. And I don't know. Yeah. yeah. All right. So pro football focus uh, junk list. It's been <laughs> said here first. All right. This one out of the Major League Baseball. New York Mets first baseman Pete Alonso floated an interesting theory on Wednesday that the MLB has been tampering with baseballs this season to hurt potential free agents. Alonso also alleged that. Major League Baseball is doing the exact opposite, juicing baseballs before star pitchers like Garrett Cole to hit the market. Today, though, Mets GM Zach Scott threw cold water on the theory, stating that whether or not the baseballs were deadened would have no value or influence on how players would be paid. Whose side of the story are you guys buying here? Hmm. I'm buying Pete Alonso's side because I'm a fantasy team, so do what, <laughs> yeah. that, that guy needs to make, make me happy, so... And he needs to be in a good headspace. He's hitting the crap out of the ball recently, so let's just keep that going. On a scale of one to flat earth, how how, how cuckoo is that theory? <laughs> it's pretty I, close to flat at that yeah. point. Well, yeah. I, I don't think that there's much credence there, but at the same time, I, I do think that Major League Baseball, you know, does stuff with the baseballs, and then they, like, do their own investigation into what happened with the baseballs. It's kind of weird. Like, I know that... There's obviously some rhyme and reason as to why they're doing it, and I very much doubt that it has to do with tampering it so that when there's a big market of star pitchers coming up, they're you know juicing the baseballs so that the hitters are doing yeah. well, and then vice versa. Well, I don't think that's happening. It is a little silly though. With that, we were talking about this earlier on Seven on Seven with the the spider tag situation, how unequal the enforcement is, where they they really don't crack down on mm-hmm. on stuff like that when they could. So I don't know. It's just a weird, weird gray area. Well, I got a couple yeah. of fun ones. These are these are outside of sports, but uh, there was a wedding day TikTok that had gone viral for all the wrong reasons this week. The video, which was actually taken about four years ago, has since racked up over two million views on the Chinese spyware site. See what I did there? Uh, since it was posted, it depicts a groom standing by the altar as a soon-to-be wife starts to walk up the aisle. The groom smiles, then he promptly checks his phone. A video was then posted by his wife and was captioned Husband of the Year. Her husband had later explained that he needed to check his phone because, quote, crypto (laughs) never sleeps. Uh, What do we think, fellas? Checking your phone during your own wedding. Is that okay? Or should she have left him at the altar? Well, no to both. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. I I would say that that, uh, checking your phone is probably okay if we're going to be one way or the other. Obviously, it's not okay, but if there's one or the other, if he's going to check his phone, obviously he's doing it for her benefit, too. As because, she's walking know. up the aisle. Like, literally, as she's walking up the aisle. Yeah, that's bad. I mean, it's bad, but I don't know. Mm, ben? Yeah, that's... Uh, that wouldn't fly if that were <laughs> no. my wife. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. But would she have left you at the altar? Yeah, would she? I mean, she might have. It depends what I did before that. I mean, if that was if that was the first thing on the list, I'd got to get away with it. But if I did four right. or five more things that annoyed her before that, who knows? <laughs> all right. Well, closing Fair out. Enough. I, I ask her at least once once a month if she if she could make the decision all over again, would she? And uh, she gives me the right she gives me the answer that I want to hear every time. Oh, that's, good. that's true or not? That's good. That know. could change though. So. Right. <laughs> that's why I ask her every right. month, Tim. Uh, all right. Closing <laughs> out on a strong note. North Korean despot Kim Jong Un has declared war a war against K-pop. The dictator has warned North Korean citizens that listening to the catchy South Korean pop music would warrant up to 15 years of hard labor in a prison camp. Kim also likened K-pop to a, quote, vicious cancer. That begs the question, gentlemen, if you guys were a dictator, what genre of music would you ban? 
Jeez I would love Louise. to be a dictator. Um, this one's easy for me, and I know this is going to be unpopular because of where we live in this in the United States, but country music oh, is boy. the bane of my existence. So. Not going to go see Garth in the Memorial Stadium? No, not going. No, okay. I have seen Garth Brooks before, and it, I mean, he's he's a good entertainer, <laughs> but I just don't like. Does he know you want to ban his music? No, but he also doesn't know like he doesn't know my uh, attempts <laughs> to become dictator either. So, no, true. I would say like screamo music, mm, yeah. like I don't know what they call it, like blood rock. You know where they're just I don't know, yeah, psycho death metal like, or yeah, death metal. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out on yeah. that. I, I'm out on electro pop. Now I listen okay. to a fair amount of it, but what's like an electro pop? Like you know, it's yeah. it's what like I'm, I think like TikTok and Zoom tweens listen to. Like uh, I don't know, it's sure. like alternative, like Ariana Grande. Is that no? What? That's more like no, teeny bop, but like <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I kind of know what you're talking yeah. about, Tim. But you guys' answers are probably way more popular with our listeners than what mine was. Mine probably. But there's some, like, some like Johnny Cash. Responses. That's decent country, right? Like, there's some right, no, country. No, no, no. Okay, like, here's the deal. Yeah. Old I would country, say, like, it, Billboard Top 40, like, you know, beer and blue jeans country. I, I like could Florida see. Florida Georgia line? Yeah. That's not Is great. That kind well, of where you're at? Kind of. I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I'm make, not going to just Make up your mind. Josh, you're a the, dictator. Make up your mind, please. I'm not going to yeah. name off every single, you know, country music artist that I don't like, but I, you know, I would just say everything that's modern these days, I don't. I don't like so. All right, there you go. Country music, yeah. Good stuff. It's time for the weekend preview, the part of the show where we tell you everything you have to watch this weekend. Come in, watch. It'll be a good one. Sometimes we give you good advice. I could watch that all day. But we're not perfect. There were times I'm like, this is so dumb. Why am I watching this? It's the Weekend Preview with Josh Hilkeman. That's right, the Weekend Preview. And as you mentioned, Ben, I, we have Tim here to hold our hand through this. We need as much help as we can get. So Tim, hey, Tim. will join us throughout the segment. You're welcome. I'm here, uh, you know, back by popular demand. So That's just ready right. to give the people what they want. Exactly. Chime in as you feel led, Tim. But we start with Husker Sports as usual. Although now that baseball has entered their postseason run, things are getting a little skimpy on that front. In fact, tonight is the last night that any Husker track and field athletes will be competing at the NCAA championships in Eugene. And then this weekend, uh, recently graduated Husker Abigail Napton will take part in the finals of the U.S. diving team trials in Indianapolis. She'll uh, also be a part of the three-meter springboard final tomorrow afternoon at 3.50 Central Time. The team trial competition is set for Sunday night at 8 o'clock, and both of those events will be televised on NBC. But other than that, that is it for Husker events or Husker-related events. So things getting a little skimpy on that front. Did you guys see the video of her dive the other day? Yeah, no splash. On on Twitter? I did not. My goodness. Tim, imagine (laughs) you doing a cannonball. And have it be the exact opposite of that. That's basically yep. what it was. That was really – I mean, I don't really know anything about diving, but I know that was really good, and I could not do that. I mean, I don't know. Right. My cannonballs are pretty graceful, but, you know, go off. <laughs> I'm sure they are. <laughs> no, I did see that video that you're talking about, Ben, and it was impressive. Zero, zero splash upon entry, and that is the extent of my diving knowledge. I know that that is good, but – All right, let's, uh, let's move on. I mentioned that Husker baseball season is done, but – 
the Super Regionals for baseball are getting set to go this weekend across the country. And let's dive into that a little bit. I'll run through all eight matchups, and you guys can tell me which one or two matchups catch your interest the most. And, of course, we start with Arkansas, the number one overall seed. They're hosting NC State in Fayetteville. In Nashville, Vanderbilt hosts East Carolina. Texas Tech hosting Stanford in Lubbock. Arizona hosting Ole Miss in Tucson this weekend. In Austin, it's the number two overall seed Texas against the surprise winner of the Gainesville Regional, South Florida. LSU will play number three seed Tennessee in Knoxville. Mississippi State versus Notre Dame in Starkville. And then in Columbia, Virginia will play Dallas Baptist, a pair of unseated teams there. So which one of those do you think will play out the best? And then maybe you guys can also give me an upset pick for Omaha as well. Tim, you want to go first? I mean, not really, but. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll go first. Um, You know, and I'm not just saying this because Nebraska pushed them, but I think Nebraska took a lot out of Arkansas. And I know they're they're going right now, just about wrapped up. But um, I give I give NC State a fighting chance, particularly later in the weekend. Uh, obviously, Arkansas through Wicklander tonight. But um, I like the Wolfpack. I don't know that they're going to win, but I think they're going to test them. And man, I am really excited for um, a, the Notre Dame regional. I think is just going to be fantastic. Notre Dame and Mississippi State and Starkville. Virginia DBU, I think the winner of that regional could have a good following in uh, in Omaha. Uh, you know, it's been a while since Coach O'Connor has been here uh, for Virginia, and you know, DBU is by far the biggest. I don't want to say underdog or you know upset team that there's left in the supers. There's a lot of chalk, so I think those two, I guess three that I mentioned, are definitely have my attention. Uh, I'm looking at the Lubbock Super Regional. I think Texas Tech they outscored their opponents 21 to seven. That was a pretty good regional performance by them but they're going to come up against number nine Stanford who actually did have a little bit of trouble getting out of their uh, regional I think that took them a little bit to beat UC Irvine but uh, I think that's probably one of the better matchups at least from a seating perspective Um, but as far as Arkansas goes I'm intrigued to see how they'll do Um, I think this was mentioned on the broadcast as well but it's been a while since the number one overall seat has actually gone and won the whole dang thing I think the last time was Miami once right the only team to ever do it Right, right. So, wow. so I, I'm I'm curious about that as well. So those are the two things I'm kind of looking at. Yeah, it should nice. be interesting to see how these things end up playing out. It was 108 degrees at first pitch today in Lubbock between Stanford and Texas Tech. Goodness, that is warm. That no is uh, that is quite quite warm, and on the turf too, nonetheless. Yeah, no, thank you. It, it's one thing to be outside in that kind of heat, but to be playing baseball and high level baseball at that for three plus hours is. Yeah, let, no thanks. Let me ask you guys this question. I've been getting this question a lot, so I'm going to ask you. Do you feel like um, there was obviously a lot of attention played to how, depending on which fan base you ask, how the treatment went from both Arkansas and Nebraska, and things got pretty hostile in Fayetteville. Do you think that that, that regional is going to affect, if Arkansas makes it to Omaha, how many people do or do not root for Arkansas in the past, because in the past, there's been a lot of Dave Van Horn fans that root for him to get his first championship. But I think there's probably still a fair amount of bitter Husker fans, yeah. both with how they were handled in social media and how their fans were treated in Fayetteville. Well, I, I think it will affect it to some degree. I don't know if I, I mean, there's there's so many people that show up to the College World Series that aren't necessarily Husker fans or just college baseball fans that are in Nebraska. But 
I do think that with how relevant Nebraska was this season and how much, you know, is kind of behind them, I do think that there there will be something. There will, I'm sure that Arkansas, if they make the College World Series when they go out, there will be some boos heard in the stands um, in Omaha. So, yeah, I think it will affect it a little bit, but maybe not quite as much as as what is portrayed on social media. I guess I'll put it that way. There'll, there'll be some woos in the in the stands. You guys, you guys <laughs> might not know this. They like to do a, a chant called the Woo Wait, Pig what? Suey, and uh, it's definitely not annoying at all. It doesn't it doesn't get on my nerves. Um, and it's a really great thing, and everyone loves them for it. So that's just my two cents on Arkansas and their fan base. While we're on the subject, if you guys had to hear, put up with for an entire College World Series, the Woo Pig Suey or the Vandy Whistler, what are you putting up with? Oh, well, I think don't. I think the good thing with the Vanderbilt Whistler is that you could find him and 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 try and silence him the True. best you He ability. was told could... to last College World Series. He was told that he needed yeah, to he stop. Got, yeah. yeah, that's one person. Yeah, you can't stop a crowd of. 11,000, though, all doing the Woo Pig Suey. So, yeah, I, Vandy Whistler, I feel like, yeah, you could just complain about him and have somebody go take him out. So Fair enough. All right, uh, so all the Super Regionals are on the ESPN family of networks and streamed on Watch ESPN, of course, Super Regionals, best two out of three format this weekend. Uh, let's move over to the NBA playoffs next. Just one game on the docket tomorrow, Game 3 of the Western Conference semis between the Utah Jazz and Los Angeles Clippers. Utah up two games to none there. Neither game has been a blowout, though. L.A. did have to rally to win their first series against the Mavs, guys. Do you think they can do it again? Um, I I don't have a lot of faith in the Clippers, to be honest. <laughs> I, 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 I uh, had Paul George on my fantasy team this year, so I had... I was forced to watch a lot of Clippers basketball. They just seemed really inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it had to do with injuries, right? PG and Kawhi were both took turns being injured for long periods of time. And uh, <laughs> I know that had a lot to do with it. But I just, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to turn it around. I really don't. Well, as the resident NBA expert again on uh, Sports Nightly, <laughs> I was the one who actually bought the uh, the Jazz hype train. And everyone else sold it on that buy-sell question. I was the only one that thought they were going to sweep the rest of their series against, uh, who was it actually, the Grizzlies. Yeah, so Memphis, yeah. it was against Memphis. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all aboard the Utah uh, hype train. And uh, sorry, Clippers, it ain't going anywhere. The road stops here. Wow. Yeah. Okay, there you go. I would tend to agree with that. But, you know, you've got Ty Lue working his magic. We saw it against the Mavs, so we'll see if they can do it again. But uh, game three between the Jazz and Clippers scheduled for 7.30 Central Time on ABC tomorrow night. Pair of games in the NBA playoffs Sunday. First, the afternoon matchup. Game four between the Bucks and the Nets. Milwaukee avoided really a catastrophe last night by holding off Brooklyn. It was a slugfest of a game. Uh, they did pull out the win, but they still trail the series two games to one. So do you guys think Milwaukee maybe found a solution of sorts last night by playing really ugly basketball and just finding a way to get a win? How about that uh, drama between a couple of former Texas yeah. Longhorns last night, P.J. Tucker and uh, Kevin Durant? That was Durant, something. Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, I haven't been big believers in Milwaukee this year. I I don't know. There's just something about them that I just I, – I think when it's this time right now, playoff time, I just – I don't know that I trust them to get it done. And the th- interesting thing about Brooklyn is, right, Kyrie has done it before with a different team. KD has before on a different team. Harden hasn't, <laughs> hasn't really done it before, but he's a part of this new team too. So it's an interesting dynamic. It's, it's unbelievably 
it, they're unbelievably talented. The Nets are, and so my, my lean is is Brooklyn. But I hope this thing it gets extended. I think that's you know playoff hockey game six and seven get really chippy. I think this thing could get really chippy on the floor if we make it to six or seven games. The only thing I can add is that the Nets are probably one of the least likable teams right now in all yes. of sports. And yep. uh, the whole, yeah, as, as Kyrie said, I don't think the whole world uh, is really back in Brooklyn <laughs> in this one. No. So uh, give me the Bucks. I think they actually pull this one through. Yeah. Well, very good. Uh, that game is scheduled for 2 o'clock Central Sunday afternoon, and you can watch it on ABC. Nightcap Sunday has Game 3 between the Suns and the Nuggets in the Western Conference semis. Phoenix leads two games to none. As we talked about last night on 7-on-7, Denver head coach Michael Malone called out his team and said that most of them are quitters. I guess we'll see if that motivates his team or if they just end up completely all quit on him. But I I kind of am leaning toward that they're going to basically throw in the towel and this might end up being a sweep. What do you guys think? I think so, too. I think the Suns are kind of a little team of destiny right now. Sure. I think they're, they're playing really well. Josh, are you pull, I know you're a big CP fan. Are you, still, are you pulling for the Suns to win this thing? Yeah, I, I have, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a Suns fan per se, but in the matchup so far, I've definitely been pulling for them, and I, I don't have anybody on that team that I really dislike very much. So they're probably the team that's left in the playoffs that I guess I would choose to throw my hat in with. And they first got real hot in the uh, bubble last year. So there you go. They're just kind of continuing on their role that they began and that little reset. So uh, even though Denver's got the MVP, uh, they're still going to go get sent home. Phoenix got this. 100% agree. So that Suns-Nuggets game at 7 o'clock Sunday night, and that one on TNT. Uh, I haven't really paid much attention to the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, because mostly because the Wild lost to the Knights in the first round, so I didn't really have a reason to pay attention. But there is one game this weekend, game one of the Stanley Cup semifinals, the Islanders and Ben, your Tampa Bay Lightning will square off at 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon on NBC. The other side of the semi starts on Monday with the Canadiens and the Vegas Knights going at it. And Ben, I'll, I'll ask you this. I assume you're picking the Lightning to make the Stanley Cup final, but who comes out the other side? And Tim, I guess you can give your matchup as well on the final. Uh, I think, well, I think Vegas is by far the the favorite, right? I mean, their their record is insane. And that atmosphere in Las Vegas, I don't know if you guys saw that, the video last night of all the fans walking out of the arena, crazy, absolutely yeah. crazy. And you wouldn't expect Vegas to be an adopted sports town as, as fast as they have. But, yeah, that is a insane <laughs> fan base, insane atmosphere. But, yeah, uh, Lightning are playing well right now. They're scoring, they're scoring a lot, and they obviously have the experience. And I think they're playing with a little bit of a – chip on their shoulder which is surprising because they're the defending stanley cup champions but it'll be a big test the islanders are really good and you know i if we had a lightning vegas knights stanley cup final i would definitely be in for that i don't discount the canadian from Montreal. from montreal (laughs) (laughs) it's my best french accent uh but give me vegas to go through on that side and then uh, of course the islanders just despite ben uh fake Tampa Bay lightning fan yeah all right very good saw that one i (laughs) <laughs> I don't really care the Wilder done, so I'm. I guess I'll I'll cheer against the Knights just because they took out the Wild. So I'll take. Yeah, the that's Canadians, that's how you do it if you're a fan. You don't want them to. No, get any I don't further. want them to win. Pettiness, right, pettiness, uh, reign supreme. Yes, exactly. Uh, Major League Baseball, your next topic. Already two month, two and a half months into the season, which means a lot of teams have already played just as many or more games than they did last season. Uh, the national TV games this weekend have the. Cardinals and Cubs on Fox tomorrow at 6 o'clock. 
And the same two teams playing on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. So if you like the Cardinals or the Cubs, it's your uh, it's your weekend to watch baseball. Um, let's focus in on that NL Central Division a little bit. And or let's Tim, not. I'm glad, let's not, let's uh, not worry about no, it. No, I was going to say I'm glad that you're here for this because I, I was going to bring this up anyway, but we made the uh, last-second decision to bring you on, and it's, I'm glad we did. But for a while it seemed like St. Louis was going to grab control of that division. And uh, – not only, though, have we seen the Cubs play well of late, but now Milwaukee's on a tear, and they're tied with Chicago for first in the division, or at least they were coming into today. And uh, both those teams are three games up on the Cardinals now. Where do you guys both see that division ending up uh, four and a half months from now? Oh, it's St. Louis is still to lose. I mean, look, the Cardinals <laughs> yes. have them right where they want them. It's sort of like the, the principle of you don't want to score too early, right? How many times have we seen a scrappy underdog they march 99 yards down the field, they score the touchdown, and get clobbered 56-7. to seven. Uh, The Cardinals right now are playing a chess game. Everyone else is playing checkers. Uh, they're three games behind out of first place. They're going to let the Cubs and Brewers, uh, you know, go the distance, try and land some jabs, tire themselves out, and the Cardinals will, in the end, pull ahead and snatch the NL Central title. I picked Milwaukee before the season started, and I'm sticking to it. Their starting yeah. pitching's tailed off some. But I, I think their bullpen's really good, and getting Yelich back, and they're red hot right now. I, I, I do see this team uh, in a position to win the division at the end, so I'm not going to go against my pick. I, I kind of lean toward that too, Ben, with Milwaukee. But I, I honestly, I think that it's going to be a lot of jostling throughout the season. There might I be agree. the Cubs in first place for a while. The Cardinals will probably make a big comeback, like Tim said. But then you know maybe Milwaukee will go on a run, and you know. So I think that there's just going to be a lot of back and forth. I think it'll be fun to watch it and I, I misspoke I said four and a half months it's really three and a half months left in the season I am can't do math so but anyway that that is a fun division to watch what are some of the other surprises in Major League Baseball so far some of my favorite ones um, have been the Giants and the Mets I've I've been really surprised by what those two teams have done what uh, are there any others that you guys would add to the list of most surprising teams in the MLB this year the Giants for me, <clears throat> that's a that's a good one because um, my buddy is also a huge Major League Baseball fan. Like we are, um, like halfway through the shortened year last year, sent me a like a like a Sporkle quiz, <clears throat> and it was name as many San Francisco Giants as you could, and I think I got like three. I got like yeah. the obvious ones: Brandon Belt, Evan Longoria. Um, I mean that Brandon Crawford. I think those are the three that I that I got right. And then you, you know, Mike Yastrzemski all of a sudden's a good player. And, you know, you, you start to throw all these random names together. And, uh, and they're winning a lot of games. So that, to me, is a big surprise. Um, you know, and how bad the Rockies are. I mean, I don't know that's a huge surprise. Hmm. But to just see it kind of play out, my, my goodness, they're just – they're not a good – not a good team. That's – that's been a little surprising to see, too. Yeah, I think I'd stick with the NL West as well. I mean, the, between the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Padres, they're all – I mean, I, it's not surprising that they're – I'm a little bit surprised by the Giants, as Ben said. But the Dodgers, the Padres, Giants, all those three, that's going to be a, a kind of a, a nice photo finish there as they compete to see in the NL West. But also the Diamondbacks, um, I think another Ben-adjacent team, uh, they're awful. I mean, they're, they're, just, they're bad, yeah. They are just horrendous. 11-16 and 16 record at home, 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Uh, yikes, yikes, yikes. Arizona, it's not good. Yeah, their starting pitching is no bueno. I mean, really, really no bueno. But, hey, Willie Bloomquist, former Diamondback, is now the head coach at Arizona State. So maybe that, maybe now things will begin to change for Arizona. Hmm. 
I don't know why that go. would affect the Diamondbacks, but maybe it will. Yeah, maybe. Uh, the Twins have also been surprising in a bad way, but we don't need to talk about them. Uh, last thing to finish up with is tennis, the finals of the French Open. Uh, Tim was giving us his uh, best French accent, so only appropriate that we end with the French Open. Tomorrow it's the women's final. Uh, two ladies are participating that I hadn't heard of before this tournament. Barbora Krejcikova and Anastasia Pavluchevchenkova. <laughs> That's something. Uh, else. Try that one more time. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. Uh, what, countries, what countries are they from? No idea. Somewhere in Europe. Um, yep. Eastern <laughs> European. Nailed it. Uh, it looks like Russia and Serbia, just by the flag. I want to say that's Serbia. Okay. Yeah. You know, but close enough, right? Right. Tell the last name. They're not from Ohio. They're not. <laughs> uh, so Krejcikova is unseeded, and Pavluchenkova was seeded 31 coming in. So a lot of upsets Whoa. to get to this point. So, yeah, yeah that's the, re the reason why we haven't really heard those names before. At least I haven't is because they are relative unknowns. But anyway, that, that final tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock on NBC if you want to watch that. And then on the men's side, Sunday, it's Stefanos Tsitsipas against either uh, Djokovic or Nadal. So obviously you have the one side, the semis with Nadal and Djokovic, big names. So you'll have at least one of those names in the final. And that one on Sunday, also at 8 o'clock in the morning, also on NBC. There you go. Boom time. Got to be uh, – so how, how about the difference? You had the 5, 6, 1, and 3 in the men's final four. Yeah. And then um, – Unseated, unseated, and, and what? Thirty-one 30th? seed, <laughs> thirty-one overall. There you go. Yeah, and they only—I think they only seed down to thirty-two, and then the rest are unseated. Oh my gosh! For the tournament, so there Crazy. you go. All right, Tim, how much of that are you gonna watch? Um, no, I don't. Probably not. Greg will have it on. Greg's a tennis fan. Greg's a tennis fan. He'll yeah, have it Greg, on. Greg loves his tennis. Josh, I don't know that you're—you're you're not a huge. Um, tennis guy are you i don't not huge i i got into it a little bit like in the last you know five-ish years because i started playing a little bit with my brother here and there and then you know i know the names or at least the big names and i at least know how the sport works where i can follow it but i would not consider myself a huge tennis fan though. one of the things i'm going to miss the most when this is all done is every tennis tournament here in josh hilkerman pronounce pronounce all the tennis names flawlessly from all the different countries. Well, the, I know the, I can't do it. my first attempt at uh, the second one was not very good. I think I got crazy over pretty good, but <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying her name again. Pavel True story. <laughs> when I first started doing sports stickers, when uh, Lane and Jeff did uh, did the show, I purposely would not do tennis, so I wouldn't have to try and pronounce those names on the radio because it made me scared. So smart. There you go. You're braver. You're a braver man than I.